Welcome to Never Seen It. This is a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I'm your host today. My name is Betsy. And with me, as always, is my co-host and my husband, Trent. Hey, Betsy. Trent, what was going on there? That was a little intro music. A little intro music. Are we trying to actually be fancy now? Betsy, it's been almost three years now, and we <laughs> finally, finally got some intro music, along with a brand new audio setup. So if we sound different, that's why. I hope it's for the best. I hope it is certainly better than what we've been working with, because... We would like this to sound good. And if you've been listening all these years or this is your first time listening to us, we thank you for you joining us today for our ongoing Oscars series. We are doing entry number seven. Are we up to? Yeah, seven. I think we're up to seven of 10 Best Picture nominees. Today, we are watching the movie that we have been waiting to see for I don't know how many months. This one has taken a really, really long time to get to our local area. When they say playing in select cities... Our city is never selected. No. <laughs> but today, we are finally happy to say we are watching Poor Things. Or Poor Things? I'm not poor sure. Things. Where. Poor Things? Poor Things. Poor However things. you prefer it, that's what we are watching today. Neither of us has seen this movie. Trent, tell our listeners, what do you know about Poor Things? It's all fucked up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's one way to put it. Yep. My understanding is that this is kind of a very weird slash modern Frankenstein story. A take on that. A take on that. I think it is based on a book that came out in the in the early 90s. I think you're right, because I think this is up for adapted screenplay. Yeah. But I'm not 100%. Yeah. So it's Emma Stone who plays the monster, quote unquote, the creation uh, Willem Dafoe is, I think, the doctor. The creator. The creator. Mark Ruffalo is also here, and Rami Youssef is also here. Now, what the roles those guys play, I don't really know, but Emma Stone is the focus here. She's the monster, and... She's not a monster. She's just a creation. <laughs> she's the creation. We cannot Excuse confirm me. she's a monster. We haven't seen the movie. We haven't seen the movie yet, but... Yes, uh, Emma Stone here is getting a whole lot of buzz, and she's has she been winning any any awards yet? Yes, we've talked about this a little bit off mic, but it's kind of going to be a race between her and Lily Gladstone. So you've got the really serious dramatic role with Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon, and you've got this movie, which is, just based on the trailers, a very, very bizarre uninhibited kind of performance from Emma Stone. Yeah, and the the crux of the movie, the way I understand it, is it is Emma Stone basically going through the process of growing up, quote unquote. Learning how to be a human being. Learning how to be a human being. And in the trailers, they make it seem very comedic. But like, I don't know, is is it going to be like a bunch of weird stuff happening to her by men? I, know, I understand that there's a lot of sex in the movie. So there's a clip that I've seen where she's talking about she wants to experience everything, and a lot of that is sex. Yeah. So that's part of the human experience, and she is very, very uninhibited about that in this character. Yeah, and she's also, like, learning how to be in society mm -hmm. and, you know, act proper in whatever proper nature there is in this world well and that's what is going to be interesting about this because it is kind of a period piece so it's yeah. like 1800s 1900s but it's also like quirky crazy futuristic i understand it's also very colorful yeah like this is, the production design looks wild in yeah, this yeah the costumes are also i think up for best uh, whatever <laughs> Well, Best we'll award. get to all that at the end of the episode, but yeah. I know you know who directed this yes, movie. Yes, Yorgos Lanthimos, who was the director of The Favorite and The Lobster, which we've already seen The Lobster, we've covered The Lobster, we love The Lobster, and we're less all about The Favorite. You like The Favorite a lot more than I did, but I wasn't really prepared for what The Favorite was really about. I have not watched it except that one time Same. we watched it because it was up for best picture. And now that we've seen another one of his movies, I really do want to go back and rewatch the favorite to see if I feel differently now that I yeah. know, okay, this is the kind of movie this mm -hmm. guy makes. Yeah. We're waiting until we see poor things before we go and revisit the favorite. But you know, the through line being we've had either Rachel Weiss or we've had Emma Stone in all three of these movies. Right. 
So he definitely has a relationship already established with these actresses and they know how to work with him. So we will see. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about this movie before we go and see it at long last? No, I think this is the one that has the like the biggest question mark next to it. Like, I don't know if I'm going to love this movie or hate it. I definitely get that sense. I know there's a lot of people who adore this movie, but I also on the surface and just knowing what I know am prepared to be, you know, just tempering my expectations. But we have been very excited to see it. So I am excited to finally get this one checked off of the list. So we're going to go right now. We will watch Poor Things and we will be right back. We are back at long last. Poor things. We have done it. Trent, what did you think of that movie? You know, you see one fairytale Frankenstein fuckfest film. You've seen them all. <laughs> uh, I disagree. I think there's always room for a Frankenstein. A Franken. A what? A what now? <laughs> one of those things. There's always room. One of them. Man. I mean, just that line, I would say that was a fantastic one of those movies. <laughs> it's definitely weird. It is fitting right into the rest of the Yorgos Lanthimos canon that we have so far yeah, seen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is just one of these like weird fairy tale movies, and I am I am growing very fond of them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a weird, like adult version of this kind of story. But at its core, it's a very lovely kind of a thing. There are thematically a lot of things going on in this movie that we will dive into. But I had one, one way of describing this movie and see if you agree with me. It's like Yorgos Lanthimos woke up one day and said, what if Tim Burton movies fucked? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what this felt like to me, where it's in that time frame where the only other person who's really known for making this kind of a movie yeah. is really historically Tim Burton. Weird stylistic Weird. things, at, at least in the past like three decades. Yeah, quirky. It, and there's also kind of, you could say it's a combination of Tim Burton and Wes Anderson. Like there's these crazy pastels and things, mm -hmm. but it is also 100% just Yorgos Lanthimos. Like he has picked up the baton of weird little filmmakers everywhere. And I could see how people really, really enjoyed this. I could also see a lot of people hating this movie. I think you're right because wow. Wow, there's a lot going on here. And and that's not just to say, hey, we're a couple of prudes here where we can't handle, you know, the fact that Emma Stone is naked half of this movie and is having sex with whoever that she wants. But you know what? This is, if nothing else, a female empowerment movie. Oh, yeah. This is all about feminism yeah. and self-discovery. And everyone who sucks in this movie is a man trying to keep a woman down. Yeah. But then there are equal parts. There are men actually trying to help her. Like every once in a while, there is a man in her life mm -hmm. who is trying to do something nice. But for the most part, they're all a bunch of shits. They're all terrible. Even the ones who are nice are still trying to find ways to control her. But because she is her own person who is discovering this wonderful adventure called life, she is not letting them tell her what to do because she is a woman who knows her own mind, even though her own mind isn't her own, but it is. It's very complicated. Uh, the thing that I wrote about that, <laughs> Bella is Schrodinger's baby mama. <laughs> <laughs> so she is at the same time her own mother and her baby and nothing. What is that that thing about traveling in time and becoming your own grandfather? It's something kind of, like it's that. kind of in that vein where it's just like you are your own mother, but you are also your own child. Yeah, it's the thing from Futurama. So I did know that that is how she came to be. I had no idea. I, and I was I was floored. 
I love that. I love that. <laughs> it was something that I think I saw in passing because when you spend too much time on the internet on a movie that you're trying to avoid spoilers, mm-hmm. you are inevitably going to find things. And it's not really a spoiler. It's just a specific detail that's not in the trailer. Yeah. So the, the long and short of it is this woman at the beginning of the movie, we see a nameless woman yep. on a bridge yep. and she throws herself off. What we don't know is that when she killed herself, she was also very, very pregnant. So Willem Dafoe's character, Godwin Baxter, a mad scientist of sorts, and he's not really mad, but we can get into that more. He gets this body and decides that he's going to save both of them because he sees an opportunity. So why the hell not experiment? Cause that's what he is about. And he takes the brain from her baby and puts it in the adult body. So what we are watching the beginning of the movie and as it progresses is somebody who is in their infancy learning about life and how to exist. Yeah, the brain of the baby is going through an accelerated, I don't even know what you call it. Evolution. Maturity. Yeah, growth. Yeah, and I don't know why it's accelerated. I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that it got put into an adult body. I mean, it's that thing, like when people get organ transplants, you know, sometimes if you are an adult, you might actually end up with the liver of a child or something. It does sure. It does occasionally happen because that organ will still continue to grow. So like when the brain is put in her, it's a teeny tiny baby brain. But over time, that brain is going to get larger. Yeah. So you're right. Maybe it's just because her anatomy is already telling it, I'm an adult, grow faster, heal quicker, mm-hmm. be stronger. Or it's just because she's put in an environment to learn quickly, she is learning quickly. Yeah, that's not really explained, but I don't think it really needs to be. Trent, it's, there's so much in this movie that doesn't enough. need to be explained. No, it's, it's fun enough, the fact that when we are introduced to Bella, she is essentially testing out her motor skills and her language skills, and she is she's learning very, very quickly. I understand entirely why Emma Stone is being praised for this movie, because it's basically like, okay, so you're a baby. You're an empty vessel. You're an empty vessel, but then you're a toddler, and every day you learn something new. Right. And like from the moment we meet her, she's very awkward, and she walks the way a small child walks. And she has like very very small vocabulary down to the fact where she just says ba bo ga and she knows she knows who a couple people who interact with her are and she knows to some extent good and bad and right and wrong like she knows she's not supposed to pee on the floor but she goes we and then does it (laughs) we because there's somebody there to clean up after her yeah there's no self-control she hasn't learned self-control she hasn't learned what society expects of her she like you said is an empty vessel and it is absolutely the funniest thing to just watch emma stone like smashing a piano with her feet or you know looking dead in the eyes of the housekeeper or the maid or whatever she is Mm -hmm. and just staring her down as she smashes plates and it brings her such joy to just smash plates. yeah and as the movie progresses she gets a little bit more advanced here and there and then in the middle of all of that, we see Godwin operating in this laboratory, as it were, and she grabs one of the uh, the scalpels, and Godwin says, no, 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 not on anything living. Yep, Bella cut two. Yeah. Bella cut two. No, you have to do it on one of the cadavers over there, and she goes over there and stab, stab, stab. <laughs> squish <laughs> squish yeah it's so childlike and funny and she really is committed to this everything she's doing and there is a growth like she is so innocent and sheltered at the beginning and this is the the second movie in so many weeks where there is a symbolism to the black and white part of the movie and then when she decides I'm going out into the world. I'm going to have an adventure. I'm going to be my own person. That is when the movie triggers into color. It is when she has her awakening, as it were. Her sexual awakening. It's when she discovers pleasure. By mistake. Yeah. Which is sometimes how that happens. How else do you know? Until, <laughs> until you try something, I guess. And the fact that she is trying to express it to other people. Like, right. I just discovered the most wonderful thing and I need to tell you and show right. you about it. Right. 
And then like, she's discouraged because this is polite society. You can't actually do that. You can't actually show people that thing. And she just has to remind herself, Oh God, polite society. I forgot. Thank you. But this all just devolves into by the end of by not quite the end of the movie, but it just progresses so quickly that she ends up becoming a, a whore. She joins yeah. a brothel yeah. and she doesn't see a problem with it. And that's where that feminism message comes in because she starts reading and seeing other perspectives of the world. And she's like, I don't see the problem here. I am a woman in control of my yeah. own destiny. Everything that she comes to, she comes to logically like, okay, I need money. I like sex. Me putting those two things together satisfies all of these different needs. So why wouldn't I do this? Yeah, what's the problem here? Well, you just don't do that. It's the worst thing a woman could do because we're setting this in a time where yep. women had one job and it was to get married and have babies. That was your job. You make babies. You're owned by your husband, your man, yeah, whatever it is. We do not care about your opinions. You do not get to have a say in this. You just do what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the end of it. And then you die and your life is miserable in most scenarios. And meanwhile, throughout that entire progression there, she's hanging around with a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> and she says uh, when she's trying to explain her positions on things, she says, we're our own means of production. Everything that we need, we can get through our own bodies. If people want to use our bodies for money, then guess what? That's what we're here to do. Yeah, nobody is making us do this. She yeah. even has an argument with the uh, the brothel keeper saying, wouldn't it be happier for everyone if women got a say? Like if we could choose the men and not the other way around. Right. But she's quite appalled at the realization that sometimes the men prefer it that they don't get a say. Quote, some men enjoy that you don't like it. Yeah. So yeah. there's little moments throughout this journey that she is on where she is exposed to the realities of the world. Yeah. And I think that's that's the most important part of the journey, that there isn't joy in the world for everybody. The world is more messy and depressing and whatever you know negative things that you want to say. She's realizing this in real time, and the reason why she doesn't already know this is because she's been sheltered. You know what this kind of reminds me of, and I just thought of this? In The Fifth Element, when Lilu is this creation where she is born at the beginning of the movie, and mm -hmm. she has accelerated learning, trying to figure out everything in the world and all of human history, and she is compacting so much information yeah. in her brain. She has the superhuman ability to learn things, and at the same time, she doesn't know, like, social cues. Yes, it's the, it's the same thing where you're just figuring it out as you go. But by the end of that movie, she is so exposed to the bad that yeah. she almost gives in to just let it go. Yeah. Like, I'm, she discovers why, why should I save this planet? Because fuck this place. Everything is terrible. Everyone sucks. Yeah, she discovers all of the different horrible, horrible things of humanity. And yeah, why would I want to ever help this species? But then at the end of that movie, of course, not to spoil the fifth element. The 27-year-old movie. The fifth element is love. Of course it is. And you know what? There's love in this movie too. But it's the similar thing where Bella is going through this journey and she does see these terrible things. But the difference with this character is by the end, she says, no, I'm going to keep making the world a better place. Like yeah. she says it a few times, like it is my job. It's my inner calling to improve things. I'm going to try. And the men keep saying, no, you can't. You're not going to. Yeah, don't even try. Don't even bother. And she says, nope, I'm going to. I'm going to do my very, very best. And by the end, she is still there. She's still standing. She's kind of won the day. All the men around her just sort of flock to her and let her do what she wants. Even mm -hmm. the guy who's like, you know, I know you've been whoring yourself out, but I'm okay with it. Let's still stay. Let's still get married. Let's go. Yeah, Max still says, okay, as long as you get checked out for diseases yeah. and whatever else. <laughs> yeah, we can go ahead and That's do this. That's all I need. I just need to make sure you're cool in your business. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So let's talk about some of the other people in this movie. So the person who obviously did get nominated for an Academy Award for this is Mark Ruffalo. He is bananas in this movie in the most perfect way. Yeah, and he's been out there saying, you know what? I didn't really think I was going to be great for this role. And this guy is just an asshole. And I don't think I can play an asshole. 
and people think that I do a good job playing an asshole. And I don't really know how to, how to take that. <laughs> Apparently there was a, a joke on set that all he was doing the entire time is like, I, man, they're going to fire me. They're going to replace me. But you know what? I don't care because you know, I'm 55 years old and you know, I, I've had a good run. To the point where he was joking that, oh, yeah, they're just going to bring Oscar Isaac in to replace me. And guess what they did? <laughs> Oscar Isaac came on set and he was brought into a room with Mark Ruffalo. Just to fuck with him. Just to fuck with him and just say, yeah, we're, uh, we're going in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> just to, you know what, shake him out of his own self-doubts. Yeah, like, dude, you did an awesome job. It, he's so, so great in this. He is, like Emma Stone, completely committed. I don't think you can make this movie without being 100% committed to those two characters in particular. Absolutely. Like, there's other people in this movie that are also very good, but they don't have as big of a performance to give. Like, what they are there to do it doesn't require as much as yeah. is required of Mark Ruffalo in this movie. Yeah, essentially, like the, the the Rami Youssef character, Max, he's there to be the nice guy. Yep. He's there to level do the thing that a nice guy is going to do. He is there to be the guy when the girl is done with her wild side, her wild period. He's there to catch her when she falls. He's the best friend, the boy next door. Exactly. The guy who is never going to do anything naughty, yeah. wrong. He is the straight and narrow choice. Say, I'm going to come to you. She literally says, I'm going to come to you after I go and have some fun. I'll marry you later. Yeah, you're the safe boy. Right. I'll be back for you some other time. And Mark Ruffalo is the bad boy who has all the money and all the influence and everything else. Oh, yeah. He shows up and he's literally like, let's fuck. Let's go. Yeah. Come with me. And, and she okay. goes with it. I, okay. Not to change the subject here, but I know that there has been a lot of talk about the fact that Mark Ruffalo, when he introduces himself to Bella in her room, is basically a child molester. Yeah, he just kind of goes over to her and he's like, I had to meet you and yeah. then starts touching her. Yeah. And of course, she likes it because she's been doing it to herself and she knows that she likes it. And he essentially kidnaps her and makes her his sex slave. Of course, as the movie progresses, she gets out of that situation because she does mature and grow up and, and like starts to meet other people that are not Mark Ruffalo and discovers all of the other beauties of the world like you know books and poetry and philosophy i wonder if this is some kind of commentary on like if you think back to victorian era like books and life and movies this was kind of a common thing where it's some like middle-aged man marrying a teenager this happens yeah. all the time at the beginning it's like her first brush with somebody who is going to make her feel that way yeah and it might not be right, but you understand why she is drawn to him. Yes. And then once she figures out, what did she call it? Furious jumping. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and they're having a good time. She starts to come into her own more where she starts bossing him around. But then she gets tired of it. She gets bored with him as he becomes more clingy and needy. She's just like, ew, you're weird. I'm sick of you. Go do something else, you pathetic man. Yeah. I don't need you. I can I can pay my own way, essentially. And she gets out of this situation on her own. She doesn't get out of this situation because she's forced to. Nobody yeah. drags her into it. Nobody drags her out of no, it. He's it's just, all her. He's just pathetic. Yeah, he is not a good man. He is a terrible, terrible person. But that being said, Mark Ruffalo is fantastic in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of wondering what was going to happen with his arc because he's basically left... Penniless and insane on the streets of Paris. And when Max finds him, he's in like a padded cell. He's literally lost his mind over Bella. Right. Which doesn't even make sense. It's like, you don't love her, dude. Like, chill the fuck out. You're just really into the sex and telling her what to do. By the end of that relationship, he says, okay, I'm, I guess I'm going to marry you. I had my mother, and he said that with like a scowl. I had my mother prepare a wedding bed. So I'm going to make an honest woman out of you by coming with me and, and I'm going to be your husband. Yep, I'm going to. You're welcome. I'm going to overlook all your dis indiscretions, right. all your whoring, all the things I don't I'm like. Gonna look, there's so many times people have to look past the whoring. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot, but again, she did not fall into it by mistake. She basically went up to somebody and they said, this is how this works. And she went, that 
is sound financial success in my book. I'm going to do that. Why not? I have a desire. I have a need. I need to be satisfied. These guys want to be satisfied. It is an economic transaction. I get money. I'm not on the streets. What's the problem? Supply and demand, baby. Yeah, there there is an entire industry, even in this modern time. People do this. They do this. You know, you ever heard of OnlyFans? You ever heard of, you know, people selling their pictures of their feet and shit? (laughs) There's all kinds of ways that people are making money by selling their bodies, but they didn't get there because they were forced into it. They did it because they're like, shit, I can make money doing this? Hell yeah. It's not the world's oldest profession for nothing. Yeah, it will always exist. Like, it's not uh, in Demolition Man where they have to put on a headset to enjoy (laughs) sex. (laughs) And we have not reached the VR age. Well, we have, but not in that way. (laughs) But all this to say, Mark Ruffalo's character leaves her in Paris, And then we kind of don't see him again. And I was sort of wondering if we were going to. And he being the little weasel he is tracks down her husband because they had not resolved that. Bella was this body that Godwin found in the river. He saw an opportunity, but he didn't know who she was or why she was. He didn't have any of her history. And there was one mention of some woman who recognized Bella's body. Yep. In that hotel room or ballroom or wherever it was. Victoria something. And she says, no, I don't know what you're talking about because she's not Victoria anymore. She just factually isn't. Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo overheard that, remembered the name and put out an ad essentially to say, hey, is this your wife? And of course, at the end of the movie, her husband actually shows up at her wedding and takes her away. But- she chooses to go Again, there. she is not taken away. Right. She says, I would like to leave now because everything is an experiment. Everything is yeah. an experience. Right. She wants to see what this guy is, who she was. She knows the truth about herself. Yeah. So she is completely in control of her own destiny. And so she goes with him to find out who she was and what she was like. Yeah, and she kind of looks around the room saying, okay, Max, you're not going to stop me, right? And he shakes his head. No, I guess I can't because number one, we're not married yet. And number two... You're your own person. You're going to go off and do whatever you want to do. And if he really is your husband, what am I going to do? This is the society where you don't marry another man's wife. Right. And he's not the guy to, you know, put up a big fuss. Which, by the way, before we move on from Mark Ruffalo, I love, love the fact that anytime Mark Ruffalo gets into a scuffle, he is just the most inept fighter. He's not good at it. He's not good at it. He's all passion and rage. He's terrible. (laughs) He has no skills. He fights the way he dances, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that dance scene. But yeah, she goes up and like this was maybe the thing that was confusing me the most. Why she chose to go with this other guy without really asking a whole lot of questions like, okay, who are you? What is your history here? Prove you're my husband. She waits until she gets back to his place and starts with the 20 questions. Okay, who was I? How did we meet? How would you describe me? How would me? you describe me? Well, she asked that to the to the the help who is just terrified of her because she was probably a shit back then too because, hey, she married the guy. Yeah, and he says, we enjoyed a good joke. And his uh, dem- right. his demonstration of a joke is making... It's cruelty. It's cruelty. Yeah. yeah. And she says, ah, so I was a cruel person. I wasn't yeah. a very kind person. And he's like, don't make me laugh. Like, right. you were, like, the worst. And right. she referred to the baby as, like, the devil. The monster. The monster. Yeah, which, again, is hearkening back to Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fitting because, of course, the monster is herself. Yeah. But it's all this journey. It's circular. You know, she was not a happy person and she truly died and she was reborn a much better and happier person who is in control of her own destiny. Which, of course, when you're talking about, you know, a baby and like new life, that's essentially what she got. She got her baby's new life. Yeah. Some people, if they have an experience like that, where they have a near death experience or they survive a suicide attempt, if if they find themselves in that position, they have that kind of second chance at life and in her scenario it's her child's life that she is living but all roads lead to she's much happier and better off and she is so in control of her destiny that she's like i am not about to let some man get some cheap doctor to literally cut off my clitoris and 
take away any pleasure I have. That's yeah. not happening. Yeah. And like this guy is like a cartoonish villain because he's over the top. He's yeah. very over the top because he says, okay, your job as my wife is to make babies. I wanted you to have that baby. And clearly she did not want to have that baby. But she was doing what she was told, as was the ex expectation in those days. Exactly. And you should never derive pleasure from sex. So you're going to be a baby maker from now on. You're going to remain married to me, and you cannot leave the premises. I'm going to lock you in like you were locked in at the beginning of the yeah, movie. Exactly. In a in a prison of my own design of cruelty and malice and, you know, just literally turning into, again, a sex slave. Yeah. But in this scenario, you really will be because... I am not as kind as other people have been. Right. Like with the guys in the brothel, she would get them to tell her personal things about them. I love that little scene. And then she tells them a joke and she says, and then we'll have a quick sniff test and then we'll get to business and yeah. it will make it a better experience for all parties. Yeah, she's making the world a better place, Betsy. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, this other guy doesn't seem that interested in being married to her at all. He's just interested in having heirs. So when yeah. she says... Fuck no, you are not doing that to me. This ain't going to happen. She throws the drink in his face, which is full of, what is it, chloroform? Chloroform, is that what he said? yeah. <laughs> and she could help him. She could leave him to bleed to death. She takes him to, to the surgeon. She says, Max, we need to fix him up. Mm -hmm. And then while they're in there, she takes up her adopted father's work and puts, I guess, a goat brain in his body. Yep, yep. Because <laughs> why not? Make him more docile. Make him kinder. Put him in his place, and he's going to be so much happier as a goat. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And I didn't know that Christopher Abbott was in this movie. That's not a guy I've seen in a ton of See, things. I don't, I don't know that guy's name, but his face looks really familiar to me. He was in the first season of Girls. Oh, that guy. Okay. The guy who the left guy the who show. The guy who shaves his head, yeah. Yeah. And then when he showed back up a few seasons down the road, yeah. it took a hot minute to realize, wait, that's the same guy. That's that guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he left that show because reasons, I don't know, I think he was not wanting to get pigeonholed into television. Yeah, he had bigger plans, but then those plans they backfired. Really, they really haven't panned out. But look at him now. He's He was in a movie last year, I think, with Margaret Qualley, and now he's in this one, also okay. weirdly with Margaret Qualley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another person I forgot was in this, because she's not really that present. Like, she is no. the replacement Bella. When, when she leaves, Bella leaves... Willem Dafoe's heart is so empty. He says, we need another body. Need I need another to, body. <laughs> I need to not have it be about feelings. I let feelings get in my way, and that's why Bella left. So I need, I need this. I, it's all about the science. It's all about the science. And they create another woman with, a, I assume, a baby brain. And it's Margaret Qualley. What was her name? Felicity? Felicity, yeah. And she does not have as much time for us to see her development. And all she says is, Bella whore, Bella whore. Bella whore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she gets there by the end. By the end, she, you know, catches the ball instead of it letting hit her in the face. So that's something. Sure. Progress. <laughs> yeah. She was good the little bit she was on screen. Because once again, you are doing a smaller version of what Emma Stone is having to do in this mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. And I just touched on it, but we haven't talked at length about Willem Dafoe. So obviously he is the one that everybody was kind of surprised didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. But I'm going to be honest with you. He's very good in this. But if somebody has to be called from the herd, especially if we have two guys in the same movie. Sure. I would have picked Mark Ruffalo myself. I agree. And I think, yeah, you're right. He does do a really good job in this movie just by, you know what? He's like the the, the gentle like monster or the gentle giant, if you will. But, you know, yeah, you, you expect, okay, this creeper guy, he just made this this creature, this girl for his own devices like he's going to just keep her in his in his castle and just keep her as, as again a sex slave his mistress his yeah. whatever yeah but he is he's got such a history with his own father that just experimented on him which is uh, why he's all fucked up he has daddy issues he's he's <laughs> he says he he's a eunuch so he couldn't even derive pleasure from sex anyway it, what did he say? It would take all of the electricity to power, to power North London right. to get me any sexual sexual gratification. Yeah. So this is all about the science. And he says the paternal instinct took over and she just kind of became my daughter. Which is why he's so broken up about it. But he does let her go. Like she says, yeah, yeah. 
You're going to try to stop me. I'm telling you at midnight tonight, he's taking me away. I'm going to run away. I'm telling you the plan. I know you're going to stop me, but you need to let me go. And that is the moment that every parent has to go through. You have to let it go. And at the moment that she's going to leave, he literally like stuffs some money into one of her dresses and sews it yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So it's like secret money in case of an emergency. Right. And then, you know, kisses her on the cheek and bids her farewell. And like, again, as a real parent, that's about all you really can do. You can provide financial assistance. They're there to, you know, receive and send letters you know, little Advice. correspondence here and there <laughs> and just be kind of a sounding board to the rest of your life. But ultimately, by creating this person, you created a person. She has yeah. to be free. She has to spread her wings and fly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, by the end, like you said, she is taking up the mantle of being this weird surgeon. She goes to school while she's, you know, doing her duties at the whorehouse. It all started with stabbing corpses in the eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> squish, squish. And now she's going to pass her exam and become a doctor and carry on her father's work. It's cool that he is kind of, like you said, the monster. They flip the roles in yeah, this yeah. where he is really deformed and they don't go into why I assume he's been experimenting on himself because his face is really messed up. And like he has that thing attached at dinner. He says, oh, well, I took out all of my gastric juices and I need this to digest food. I, I feel like he did say that all of that was to do with the father experimenting on him. Maybe. And that's why he is the way he is. But he, but Max asks him, why did you do that? And he said, because it hadn't been done before. And I wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. What do you think the deal with the bubbles are? It's just whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> it's their version of whimsy for this movie. This movie, if it is nothing else, it is fucking whimsical. It's really dark, twisted whimsy, but yeah. I don't know a better word than whimsical for I this think movie. You're right. I think you're right. I mean, it's just this one little extra thing. It's, it's kind of the Willy Wonka effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's very colorful at times. It is like the weird fisheye lens, which <laughs> there's so many different camera there's tricks. There's so many here. camera tricks. I would be very okay with this movie winning production design. I understand now why it got nominated for that because it's cool to look at. Like you said, they built pretty much everything on a sound stage. Yeah, everything in this movie is basically on a sound stage. It is painted sets. It is just all constructed, except for the one scene in the ballroom that is on location. But it's very, like, ethereal and whimsical and dreamlike. And there are these crazy costumes and crazy things going on. But it's a whole mood. To go along with all the visuals, we can't talk about this movie without talking about the weird just score about it. Because everything having to do with the score is just makes you very uneasy. But that's by design. Because Bella as a person is super awkward and just going through life in a in a weird like uneasy state it's again very childlike it's like you gave the kid an instrument and said here play this score and they're right. sort of doing it but they're constantly like bending the notes or making yeah. a mistake the the notes are really bent and even when we are introduced to, to bella for the very very first time she's like banging the table on something and she's banging it along to the the score and like when she's playing the piano with her feet, there's yeah. shit like that yeah. throughout this whole movie, which I would be fascinated to see the sheet music for this because <laughs> is, it, is it written this way or is it, okay, here's the right notes, but play every single one wrong. Yeah, yeah, play it, 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 do this part is fucked up. <laughs> it really adds to the movie though. It's when you put all those pieces together, the score just really ties it all in, brings it in and it fits together so perfectly like a little puzzle because you know what's going on, but you also have no idea what's going on. And so it's very exploratory. It's very uneasy. It's feeling all the things that she is feeling as she's going through this movie. So but, very effectively. But really, she's not really feeling you know, uneasy about anything. She's the most confident person in this entire movie. So would you say that it's more... The outsider's perspective, yeah. like us watching her, we are mm -hmm. nervous for her. We are right. scared for her. Right, that's what I'm saying. 
Another thing about this movie that I quite liked was the costumes and like some of the choices that they made. The way that she is always in a dress, but she never wears the dress correctly. No, and she also <laughs> hardly ever wears shoes. She's barefoot like 80% of this movie. Or she's just wearing boots, but they're not like laced up or they- No, they don't go together with what stockings. she's wearing. No. Yeah, there's a lot of times where her outfit, it looks like a child when they dress yes. themselves and they're so proud. They say, look, mommy, look what I put on. <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you got your shirt on. And you are wearing underwear, but there's that scene at the beginning where she's wearing the bustle, like that thing swinging around where it looks like she has a tail. It's a bustle to make your butt look really big, that 1800s, oh, 1900s okay, thing. Okay. But she's not wearing her skirt, so it loses the effect. She just looks like an insane person. <laughs> yeah. And for the first part of the movie, she never really wears a complete outfit. She is just a child at home in her sheltered life. She is rarely wearing head to toe, what she should be wearing. When she goes to Lisbon, she starts putting more outfits together where she is wearing a skirt and the dress with the giant sleeves. But you're right. I think when she does put together the outfits, it is as if a child put it all together because in their mind, it all fits together because yeah. it's all the same color or whatever. Or just look at my creativity. It's creativity. It's it is. discovering what you like and how you want it to go together. And as the movie goes on, when she's in the brothel, she's you know naked most of the time, so she doesn't worry so much about an outfit. But when she is dressed, she's going to a school. And so she's basically wearing like a school uniform, like yeah. that all black contraption. Sure. I liked the part where she took her, her fellow brothel mate to the school and she's eating a croissant, critiquing the work of all the boys, where she's just like, this is sloppy work, this right. dissecting of this human. Right. I could do so much better myself. And this is how what she does when she misses home. Yeah, she does say something about, yeah, this just this is just like home. When she's homesick, she goes with her croissants <laughs> to the to whatever you call it, the morgue, I guess. But then by the end of the movie, once she is like complete again, I guess if you want to say it that way. She is very, like, mature-looking. That very last scene in the garden, she's wearing this, like, beautiful sweater and her skirt, and she's yeah. drinking a martini, and she is completely in control of her situation and herself and her outfit, and everyone around her respects her and loves her. And then there's a goat man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. The entire movie just is is very full circle. Like, she is taking over the family business, which is the same thing that happened with... Willem Dafoe's character. He took over his father's fucked up experiments. That all kind of got put on him, much like it got put on Bella. But he made a conscious decision. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to do the, like, the mutilation stuff no, to you. I'm going to let you get there on your own. And he knows to let go when he has to. And even when he does it again and he creates felicity mm -hmm. and he tries to be so serious and stern. He, he really can't do it. Like, he, he ultimately is just that soft, loving person at the end. I thought for a little moment that they were going to take his brain and put it in the other guy's body. I had the same kind of thought. They were going to do something with his dying body and with this other guy's brain. But no, I think... This worked out better. I, I like this better. Yeah. Because it gives closure to Willem Dafoe because sometimes you don't want to keep living. Like you, you have done your life's work. Yeah. You feel fulfilled. You've reunited with your daughter figure and it's all going to be okay. And you see, she's going to be okay. You don't need to be here anymore. So it would have just added more confusion if they had put his brain in the other guy's body and he kept living. It's not necessary. No. Well, we've touched on a lot of things covering this movie, Trent, but I'm sure you've got some other moments or things you'd like to cover before we start wrapping this up. So what have you got? Yeah, mainly uh, they're just like these visual things and the, the kind of fucked upness about the movie in general. But the one thing that really doesn't fit into, into those categories is there's one moment uh, where Bella goes to a bar. She kind of wanders into a bar and she points to a guy over there, basically signaling to the bartender hey give me what he's having and she grabs this shot glass and you think about a shot glass and how you take a shot you you grab the glass with two fingers 
two or, or three. maybe three fingers and you and you shoot it back. She holds it with her entire fist like a child would. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of touches like that throughout the movie, how she behaves. Yeah. I don't know if she's just instinctively doing it or she just spent a lot of time staring at child-like behavior, but whatever it is, she's doing it perfectly. I mean, it's halfway to her, like, grabbing it and holding it like a sippy cup. If she was using two hands. Right, right. Yeah. She doesn't, clearly doesn't need to do that, but it's the same thing when she's holding it with her entire fist. Anyway. I also like this whole sequence when she keeps going off without Duncan and she's just saying, he, he keeps yelling at her for, it's dangerous and you shouldn't go without me. And she yeah. says, uh, I fucking did and I survived, so what's the big deal? Right. It's again about knowing yourself and you don't need a man and being brave. It's not always the case. I understand the world is and can be and will always probably be not the safest place for women. It's a scary place it's in general. It's a scary place. But there is something to be said about this character in this movie just being like, no, I've seen happy things and sad things and a lot of anger and hate, but also it's beautiful. And I, I ate a bunch of pastry and I puked in the street and I was drunk and everything is okay. I survived. Yeah, yeah I'm still here. Uh, the th one of the things that I wrote was she is a child in that she is hyper, hyper observant and curious. You know how kids, they just watch adults sometimes and they listen to the littlest thing they and they things. pick up things that you would never think that a child would pick up on. And but remember. They, but they do. I think that's the most unique thing about this character is that she is that curious and that observant about things. And it's something that people in general lose. As they get yeah. older, they stop being curious. Totally. And they just go about their lives and they get miserable and they wonder why. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because you stopped being curious. You stopped experiencing the world. You're just in the world. You're living, but you're not alive. It's very different. Yeah. She is very alive in this movie. <laughs> she is not wasting any second to experience anything and everything she can. And if she doesn't like something, she says it. And if she loves something, she wants more of it. Yeah, and think about your own life. Like the time when you were a child were your formative years. She doesn't get to have that those formative years. She has to do it now. Those are the years right now. They're happening as we speak. At an accelerated pace. Uh, moving on to some other things I, I wrote down. I love the, uh, the the description of the whorehouse as the good time club of fornication. <laughs> I, was, I didn't get it down fast enough, so I'm really glad you wrote that down. Yep. I also like how the madam was tattooed from head to toe. Oh, yeah. They don't even give that to you right away. It's just this reveal, this sudden reveal later in the movie. I bet that woman had to sit and make up nearly as long as Willem Dafoe did. Or that might just be that woman. Maybe. I have no idea. Maybe some people yeah. are really good at hiding their tattoos. Speaking of really good lines or like just creative ways of, de of describing things, when she discovers that she, hey, hey, she can make herself happy, she says something to the effect of, I, I, I discover happy, I, I can be happy when I want or something like that. I figured out how to do that. Yeah, I figured out how to be happy when I want. <laughs> Let <laughs> me show you. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, the rest of the stuff that I have ha basically has to do with all of the different animals that were created. Oh, yeah, his his smaller experiments. Yeah, so I think one of the first ones that we see that has no explanation is the carriage with the horse head on the front, but the back of it is actually powered by this weird steam engine thing. It's a horse head, horseless carriage. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and it's the weird reveal where you're looking at the horse and your brain doesn't quite like, understand what wait, it's looking at right the, away. Where's the rest of it? Where are what? its legs? <laughs> What's how is this going? Because it's steam powered because he is an eccentric inven yeah. inventor. Yeah. Uh, the other thing were, of course, all of the different combinations. I, I only got a few of them. One of them was a duck goat, a pig dog, and a chicken pig. There was a, a goose dog. A goose dog, yeah. There was a goose dog. A pig chicken. Like, yeah, it was a lot of things. And then a man goat at the end. But that was all Bella. But that was all I really had. What did you have, Betsy? Uh, mine are just like rapid fire. A couple of moments that made me chuckle. Uh, so, or, or just different ways she said things. So like when she says, I'm going off with him. She's like, I'm going to go and have this time with him. I'm going to come back and I'll marry Max. Like yep. I said, I would. Yep. And she says, I will see you after Grand Adventure. 
And that's that's how it kicks off and turns yeah. to bright colors. It's yeah. like the fucking Wizard of Oz. It's great. Uh, the scene where Mark Ruffalo headbutts the bar. That made <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's also the scene where he tries to throw Martha overboard and she's just yes. like, oh, I never thought someone would try to murder me. This is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. Going along with the fact that he that he's really bad at fighting people, he can't do that either. Uh, she also says the line, I'm a flawed, experiencing person when she is like basically breaking up with him. Like, this is who I am. That's who you want. And yeah. we're not the same. Yeah. And then just little touches in this movie. So I, I leaned over and I said something to you in the theater. There's a lot of sequences where the person who is speaking is in the center of the frame and behind them, everything is blurry, but it's arched. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's that reverse fisheye thing. Yeah. There's also throughout the movie... Um, I don't know if you caught this. I saw it on the wall, on the window in the house when they're drawing up the contract that she's going to marry Max and mm -hmm. she can never leave. Mm -hmm. And I saw it again, I think, at the hotel when the guy on the boat is showing her all the people who are dying down below. Yeah. Where there's kind of an arch in the window and it looks like an open book. Or I guess if you really want to interpret it another way, women's legs open. That mm. kind of when you... That design of a book laying yeah, open on its yeah, spine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was throughout the movie a few places, okay, so I'm I, sure there's something to it. I don't think I got that, but I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I absolutely got the uh, person in the foreground that is in focus, but the background is blurry, but it's also kind of curved around yeah. them. Yeah, it was a really good look for that. And then we haven't really dived into it yet, but there are several moments where it's that fucking Beastie Boys fisheye lens thing. It's also it's a also lot of the movie like the uh, the pinhole camera thing looking where, out into your hallway from your apartment yeah, building or like the peephole. I yeah, guess. the peephole effect. What do you think we're supposed to draw from that? I because was trying to think about how I can describe that and I got nothing. I don't know what that's about, except it's just another odd way of looking at things. Yeah, the peephole is a little more literal, you know, like if you're in your apartment and someone knocks on the door, or you're in your house and someone knocks on the door and you don't want to go out there, you look at the world through that little lens. Mm -hmm. There, okay, there's a little more literal interpretation, but the fisheye thing where the whole screen is curved and there's like one person on the left and one on the right and it's very, very distorted. Mm -hmm. I could see some people watching this and having a really hard time looking at that because yeah. I was almost having a hard time when was, it was going on for that long. There was one sequence early on when the, when they first started doing that where I, I did get just a tiny bit uneasy, but in subsequent uses of that, it stopped being a problem. Yeah, something about when they're in the center is okay, but anytime they were to the edges and it got really distorted, yeah. it got a lot harder to look at. Well, like one of the earlier ones that didn't do that to me was when they were in this observation place where they were doing the surgery. Oh, the when, school, when, yeah. When we first see uh, Rami Youssef, mm -hmm. I feel like they were using that lens there anyway, at least that was going through my brain. They were using that lens there to try to get more people in the frame because that room is so circular and weird looking. That's why. And maybe it's just, this is the world, like this is the world she knows, because once sure. she breaks out of that, they stop really using it a lot. Kind of, yeah, you're so right. So maybe it's just as literal as that, where her world is very small, this is it, and then once we break out of that, we don't use that effect anymore. Yeah. All right, well, I think we've said pretty much everything we definitely wanted to touch on. Uh, for this episode, but the reason, as always, that we are doing this is because this movie is up for a whole lot of Oscars, and this is up for specifically 11 Academy Award nominations. Did this come in second? I think it did. It was certainly one of the top achievers yeah. for nominations. So this is up for Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, Music Written for Motion Pictures, Best Picture, Achievement in Directing, Actress in a Leading Role, Actor in a Supporting Role, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, film editing, production design, and costume design. And if anything, I would love this to win costume design because it's so eccentric yeah. and the colors that they use are really wild at times. And like her giant sleeves on every fucking costume. <laughs> it was making me happy to yeah. look at her costumes. Man, while you, were, while you were reading all of those off, I cannot pick one that I think, oh yeah, that's got no chance. I think every single one of them, this movie has a chance for. Like the makeup and hairstyling is an interesting one because 
you know, your brain immediately goes, oh, well, it's because he's wearing a prosthetic. And yes, yeah. it's very good, but he's the only one who is like that in this movie. Everybody else, except for, like I said, maybe the tattooed lady. Yeah, the tattooed lady. Also, Bella has these extensions that are continually growing throughout the yep. entire movie. She has really wild hair. I kept thinking, like, at the end of the movie, when she's walking down the aisle in that crazy wedding dress with the, the, the veil, like, tied mm -hmm. to the back of her head like yeah. a mask... I was like, God, I hope there are some freaky little weirdos out there who love this movie and do a Bella Baxter cosplay at conventions. Yeah. Because it would be so fun to play around with these proportions and the colors and the giant sleeves and the the really long hair. Like, it would be a fun costume to wear. I would want to watch this movie again for no other reason than to just witness it again. If not, I mean, not, not for the story or anything, because I got that, but just to look closer at how everybody is kind of made up and i think the others the other like characters and scenes that you're talking about here as far as costumes is at the whorehouse really because when all of the ladies get lined up they're all in different kind of get-ups and different makeup and all and different makeups and hairs and everything like that yeah but i get it but i also don't get it because usually the hair and makeup it's in these movies that are really extensive where it's a lot of prosthetics and it's a lot of this and it's a lot of that. And we talked about it a little bit in Maestro where the big piece is the singular thing and it's Bradley Cooper's makeup. In this, sure. it's Willem Dafoe. So we'll see. I think it maybe has a shot. I think it's maybe more interesting than Maestro in that category because there's so many more people and this is very eccentric and very of the time. Well, and that's what we've talked about with Maestro. That is the only category where I think, okay, yeah, this got a chance there, but nothing else. This one, I think it's up there with all of them. I think, it's crazy. I think this one is a lot more technical for like, like I said, costumes. I would love this to win costumes. Again, I have to go and look at it the entire race to see yeah, where I think it might yet. land. No, we've got a lot more to go through. And then we got to debate what we actually think might win. Not that it matters. We don't vote, but <laughs> it's just, it's interesting to hear your opinion, but the production design, I would not be mad about that either because everything is very meticulous. And like the closing credits, we usually in movies like this, when the movie's over, we get up and we leave, but there was still stuff on the screen and we're hearing this kooky score and we're the I'm, last ones in the theater. We're the last ones in the theater. And I'm just looking at the tiny details. That's basically what they've done is they've zoomed in on a little corner of this set. Yeah. And over the credits, they're just showing you here's a little corner and here's a little corner and there's a ceiling and there's a floor. And it's stuff I didn't even notice. Like, I didn't notice there was a fucking tiger drawn on the floor on the boat. I think that was. Did you also notice that part of the speaking of floors, the floors at Godwin's place are all cushions? Yeah. Yeah. I did notice that. That's such an extra touch that's easy to miss. But it's the sort of thing you do when you've got someone who is prone to falling. I you guess know, she's a she's an awkward little child in a woman body and doesn't know how to walk. Maybe you pad the floors a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. So I don't know how this is going to fare come Oscar time. I think it definitely has more of a shot of winning multiple than the last couple that we've done. Yeah. Mainly because of statistics. You know, it was nominated for a lot. That's a lot more it can win. It's also a lot more it can lose. Sure. It happened last year. Banshees and Sharon got nominated for 10 and it didn't win shit. So I don't know how to predict these things. It could be that kind of a thing where, yes, this movie is beloved. However, so many other things just outranked it and it sucks. I want this. Okay. Wrapping up here. I, I we, we can talk about the rest of them here if you want, but I really kind of love this movie. So far, I think this is the movie that, you know, I really like Oppenheimer, but that is that is that kind of a movie, and it's really speaking to me because I like, you know, historical dramas. But I also love a really fucked up movie, <laughs> and that's this one. And I, I'm all the way there because it's kind of having that everything, everywhere, all at once vibe where, you know what, the director here, the writers, they know what they're going for, and they went for it. They got the budget, and they were able to do it. They nailed it. Yeah, they were completely uninhibited like this character. Everybody knew the project they were making, yeah. and they gave it 120%. 
you're going to either be on board with that or you're going to hate this. And I could, like I said at the beginning, I could easily see someone not understanding this movie. Of course, that but this that's is, any kind of this art, is, art house movie like this. This is too much. It's too quirky. It's too strange. But also there are some really simple to understand concepts. So I don't know. I'm really glad we finally got to watch this because I wanted yeah. to see this for many, many months. Yeah. It took forever to get here. I'm glad we finally did it, though. All right. But with that, that is going to do it for poor things. If you loved this movie or if you despised this movie, we would love to hear your thoughts. You should email us neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We did get an email from our super fan, Stephanie, about the first in this most recent series that we're doing, Maestro. Maestro. She begins, this was an okay movie. It was fine, but I was not super connected to the characters. I didn't really feel anything for Lenny. I liked Felicia, but didn't really feel any specific emotions about her until redacted for spoilers. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, she kind of feels the same as us where it's like, mm, you know, it's not bad. I think it's better than people thought, but it's maybe not his best work. I don't think it'll go down as Bradley Cooper's masterpiece. Definitely not. I mean... I, I we talked about in the episode I can see why like this is the kind of movie that gets nominated for best picture but not much else and <laughs> yeah it's it's an okay movie you can just kind of throw on if you like the guy or you like the people in the movie but it it's less than the sum of its parts fair enough but she continues, uh, speaking of the sum of its parts, the filmmaking was interesting and I thought there were some really beautiful shots. However, it was all over the place and there were some unnecessarily long shots of Lenny conducting. Carrie Mulligan was fantastic. She is so subtle but powerful. There were some really good acting moments for Bradley Cooper too. Oscar-wise, I can understand the nominations for makeup, sound, cinematography, and best actress. However, I don't know if it will win any. I watched May-December the other day. It was okay. It had a similar music issue that Leave the World Behind had, where the music created tension where none was necessary. I get that this woman that fucked a teenager is shady and bad. I don't need crappy 90s made-for-TV music to tell me. All right, all right. <laughs> other than that, the acting was good, but the movie overall was just okay. Yeah, I kind of touched on that in one of these other episodes recently where I just, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with May, December. Is it like a drama? Is it campy? Yeah, we talked about it in our Patreon episode where we talked about the nominees. Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. It, it was just one of those movies that sort of came out of nowhere. And then the reception has been so mixed. And there's people that really, really love May, December. And there's people that are just like, I don't get this movie. And I'm in the camp where I haven't even watched it. But sometimes, you know, on the surface, like looking yeah. at poor things, I know what kind of movie this is. And the totally. advertising was not lying to me. I look at four things trailer. I watch four things. I know what this is. Do you think I know you haven't seen the movie. We haven't seen it. We haven't really seen anything about May, December. But do you think that this movie got a lot more buzz because of who got cast in it? And if it didn't have that cast, it would have just gotten like put on Lifetime. It feels like a lifetime movie, at yeah, least for that's what, what I'm saying. What the topic is, and then they go and do the thing that people do at the Golden Globes, where it's like, oh, it's a comedy, it's hilarious, put it over here, and it's like, wh why? Yeah, it might have elements of humor. At least this movie, Poor Things, it is very comedic, but it is not all comedy there's some really no, dark it's not elements played to for this laughs, not at no all. it's just the the human condition and the humor that comes out of living yeah. as living a life living your own existence reality is funny and that's the thing about bella baxter is she's just doing things that feel good and feel right and what she thinks she should be doing and sometimes that produces hilarious results mm-hmm but May, December, I'm looking at the trailer and then I'm hearing what people say about it. And I'm like, I don't feel like this is the same movie. Like there may be misleading in the trailer, like it's what kind of movie it total is. Total difference. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot of episodes where we just don't understand the tone of a movie. Like, do you want to be this or do you want to be that? Pick a lane, stick with it. Because some movies try to do both and then it's really confusing. Maybe someday I'll watch May, December. I don't know if we'll do it for the show. I might just watch it sometime because I'm curious and it gets the better of me. But I don't know how I'll feel about it. Todd Haynes is not like my favorite director. I don't dislike his work. But again, it's kind of 
all felt very similar to me. The vibe of those movies. I think the one I've liked the most was Carol. And this is yeah, not Carol was good. This is not Carol. <laughs> My understanding, the response that this movie has been getting is different than Carol. But all that to say, watch what you want to watch, like what you like. If you have other thoughts about May, December, if you have thoughts about Carol or Maestro or poor things or past lives, you should send us those thoughts. We love to hear what you think about movies, especially if it's a contradiction to what we think, because sometimes it just offers us a different perspective on a movie we have seen or gives us a reason to watch a movie that we're not sure about. Email us those thoughts never seen it pod at gmail.com you can follow us on all of our social media pages reach out to us on there if you want to send us a message on there if you're not much for emailing that's fine we respond to those as well we would also very much love it if you would join us over on our patreon we are in month number two of four exclusive new shows the never seen it movie club real love box set and the Wayback machine and not only those four shows, we've also been throwing in some extra content here and there. I already mentioned that we did an entire rundown of the Oscar nominations on the day that they that those uh, nominations came out. Uh, we've also been putting in, there was one one thing that we put up that was just some, uh, some mic check moments where Betsy and I were just kind of fucking around. Uh, we're going to continue to throw in some extra stuff here and there, not on any kind of schedule, but uh, those have been fun to put together. Of course, all of this can be found at patreon.com slash neverseenitpod. $5 a month gets you all of those shows, including all the extra bonus content that you can't hear on this feed. We've got lots of ideas, lots of things we're going to be working on in 2024, so we hope that you will sign up once again, patreon.com slash neverseenitpod, that you'll join us for this adventure. But that is going to be it for Poor Things. Our Oscars series rolls right along. The next one we are going to be doing next Sunday is going to be Anatomy of a Fall. So come back for that episode next Sunday. But until then, this has been Never Seen It. My name is Betsy. My name is Trent. And we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.